I'm Katie Lucas. Welcome to the CTX podcast featuring conversations about UX and CX with leaders in Connecticut. I am here in Stamford today with Ken Krasnow, who is the Vice President of Omnichannel Marketing at Henkel. And we are very excited to hear everything he has to say about customer experience and the culture that he's building at Henkel, which is pretty unusual for the kind of corporation that this is. And so without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Ken and ask you to introduce yourself. Well, thanks, Katie. It's wonderful to be with you today, and I'm very excited to chat with you. Uh, so I'm Ken Krasnow. I'm the Vice President, as Katie said, of Omnichannel Marketing here at Henkel. And my world really consists of all the consumer touch points mm. in one group, which, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't really exist in any other uh, major uh, CPG company, consumer packaged goods company, from all the research that I've done. We've basically got seven functions, right, in one team, all working together to create seamless yet nuanced messages from media to shelf. Wow. So the groups are what you would expect mm -hmm. and some that you might not expect being together. Right. So the ones that you would expect would be, um, you know, traditional media, digital marketing, shopper marketing, uh, in-store merchandising, national promotions. Um, the ones you might not expect would be the consumer call center. Hmm. Right. Uh, visual branding, which is our packaging design team. Right. So if our consumer sees it, it comes through my team, right? And that way we're really able to stitch together stories that make sense. Stories that don't leave the consumer scratching their head feeling they just went down a dead end or their journey has been broken. And, and we're really proud of that. We have a long way to go in terms of you know, optimizing, you know, this whole approach, but we're really proud of what we've established. That's astounding, uh, you know, particularly given the number of brands mm -hmm. that Henkel has. For those of us listening in, you might not know that Henkel has B2B brands like Loctite, but also All Detergent. You have Persil, you have Schwarzkopf, just, just a tremendous number and variety of brands um, across two or three categories, three Yeah, or four? it's really across three categories. Three categories, right. And you're absolutely right. Not a lot of people in this country really know Henkel. Um, they confuse us with the knife company, right? Uh, which we are not. Right. Uh, Henkel is actually 140 years old, mm. based in Dusseldorf, Germany, uh, with products that span, to your point, across three distinct sectors. Right. Laundry and home care with brands like All and Persil and Snuggle and uh, Soft Scrub and mm -hmm. Combat. Beauty brands, uh, to your point, Schwarzkopf, right. mm -hmm. which we have from a professional salon perspective, right. but also from a consumer standpoint as well, with brands like Got to Be and Ultime. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's our adhesive business, which is actually our largest piece of the business from a B2B perspective. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's the consumer Loctite brand, right. but we are in many different points of contact on your phone mm -hmm. and in cars and on diapers, places that you wouldn't expect Henkel adhesives to be. In fact, a funny little story, uh, 140 years ago, or well, maybe not quite that long ago, but um, at one point in Henkel's history, they couldn't get the glue uh, to, to close the soap boxes, right? The laundry detergent hmm. boxes, so they had to create a glue. And they created this marvelous product that happens to work better than any other glue on the market. And it has become the biggest part 
of Henkel's business, which is, uh, you know, Henkel's a $20 billion company globally, and this is the biggest part of the business. Wow. I had no idea, and I can't believe I forgot Snuggle, um, <laughs> because who can forget Snuggle? Um, and Cronin actually does a little bit of business with the Loctite um, end of things, doing some social media, but the breadth of Henkel is something that I don't think most people are really aware of. And even even I didn't know that the adhesives was such a, a strong part of, of Henkel. So that has got to be hugely challenging in terms of creating unified customer experiences, unified storytelling from end to end across all of these different brands. And we are going to get into that. But first, I would like to get a little bit more background about you mm. and how you came to Henkel mm. and how you grew into this role here. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, it's a unique role. And it's been an exciting journey for me. I actually started out on the agency side, working for a number of agencies right here in Connecticut, mm -hmm. uh, in Westport and Wilton and Stanford, lots of wonderful, wonderful firms, uh, where I held a variety of roles across uh, strategy and uh, creative and account management, really diverse experience. And I had a, a wonderful time doing that until I decided uh, to make the jump into corporate America. And one of my clients at the time was PepsiCo, and so I knew that was a natural fit for me. I mm -hmm. think they felt comfortable with me. And, and I spent just 20, just uh, 17 years there wow. uh, doing a lot of, of diverse uh, things across interrelated uh, fields in, within marketing. So I got great experience in brand marketing and shopper marketing and national promotions and in innovation. And that was wonderful, you know. And then I kind of started to get the itch to do something a little bit more entrepreneurial. Um, but I'm the kind of person that believes, you know, if you want to kind of break the rules and think out of the box, you kind of have to know what's in the box first. Yep. And I think that's the wonderful thing about a big corporation like PepsiCo or even Henkel. You know, these, these companies are very rigorous around their approach and how they think about business. And for me, PepsiCo really was the foundation of my career. Uh, the, the people I got to work with, the experiences that they offered me, the training, quite frankly, that they gave mm -hmm. me. Um, and I really got to feel, I really understood what was in the box. And right. that was time to think a little bit differently and, and maybe break the script. Mm -hmm. And for me, a smaller company um, was the way to go. And I went to Sun Products, which was uh, PepsiCo's a $70 billion company. Sun was about a billion and a half right. dollar mm -hmm. company, so quite a bit smaller. Um, and there, they really liked my diverse experience. And they, they put together, they creatively came up with the idea of putting together multiple disciplines. And this is really, this is about four years ago, and this is when Omnichannel was really just starting to take place. And they said, gosh, we need somebody to come in here and not only raise the effectiveness of various marketing services functions like digital marketing and shopper marketing and national promotions and in-store merchandising, but we need somebody who's got the creativity to be able to bring those groups together so that they can become a force multiplier mm. Mm. for our business. Right. And, and, and that worked out wonderfully well. And then Henkel, you know, spotted this little jewel of a company also here in Connecticut, mm -hmm. in Wilton, Connecticut. And they bought us, which was really what we all wanted. We were private equity backed, and that was the plan. Uh, and Henkel liked what uh, my team was doing and some of the work we were doing. They said, gee, you know, Let's put a little bit, put a little bit of gas on that. Mm -hmm. You know, why don't we bring some more groups into this omni-channel function? And that's when they brought in. We brought in the media department. That's when we brought in uh, visual branding, 
the consumer call center, which has been amazing. You know, the, the woman who runs that consumer call center, she sits right outside of my office, and and I hear all the good and bad. And 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 one of the really interesting things is that we get love letters for some of our brands. Wow. And we've actually decided for Persil, uh, in particular, to build marketing campaigns sure. around what consumers are actually pouring out to us. Mm -hmm. That's been wonderful. But to kind of uh, put a fine point and answer your question, uh, that's kind of my journey. That's how I got here. Mm -hmm. uh, Henkel liked what they saw at Sun. They, uh, they ignited that by really completing the puzzle mm -hmm. and bringing all the pieces together uh, for me to play with, so mm -hmm. to speak. And we've had a lot of success. That's just tremendous. And you know, one of the things that we see a lot with big corporations is that facing those types of changes can be challenging. And it sounds like what your team here, but also what Henkel leadership has done, is recognize what you were bringing to the organization and what your team was bringing to the organization and recognize that bigger changes would mean better improvements. Mm. Uh, I was very privileged to attend your talk um, at the AMA event a couple months ago, and one of the things that struck me there was how um, significant the operational changes you brought into the organization were. So I would love it if you could speak a little bit to what that process was like, what that journey was like, um, how you had to develop chains of communication with leadership, particularly back in Germany, and, and what that entire transformation process was, was like. I think that's an amazing story. Thank you. And I, I think I was really blessed, quite frankly, with Henkel leadership mm -hmm. because it really does start at the top. And they created an environment uh, to make all of this possible. I mean, in a typical organization, breaking down these silos, which really become little fiefdoms, mm -hmm. right, of, right, of jurisdiction and of, of, of people's kind of career and pride, is a Herculean task. But at Henkel, um, that was easy, quite frankly. Wow. I, and I'm telling you that, and I'm, it's almost hard for me to believe it when I say it myself, mm -hmm. but it really was easy. And I think it had something to do with the culture. You had leaders of these various departments that saw the vision, knew it made sense, and said, you know what, I'm going to give up a piece of my responsibility so that we can succeed in an area that, um, that other companies may not be succeeding in. I think one of the neat things about Henkel, although we are a $20 billion company, we are market leaders in many places around the world. In the U.S., we are a challenger brand. Mm. You know, we are number two, number three in various categories. And I think the people in the U.S. really understood that we have to think differently. And they're willing to make the sacrifice, give up a little bit of jurisdiction to do the right thing and put these groups together. You know, Henkel's, you know, really mission from a corporate perspective is to be more agile, mm -hmm. is to be more digital. It is, to, it is to break down silos. And so this was a natural project. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I think that culture enabled this to happen. But then the next step is making it happen. Right. It's almost a miracle, you know, sitting on my side. So we, we do a lot of work with a lot of different organizations who are trying to reach this point. And it can be a real challenge to, um, to handle those fiefdoms, you know, and to talk to those sort of feudal lords and try to get them to understand that if they are willing to bend a little bit, over time, you know, their role will actually grow. 
and the company will grow because they're able to do that. But that can be a that can be a tough sell. You know, so it's a sort of amazing and brilliant and miraculous that that was able to happen as smoothly as it was here. Um, I would like to go back to what you mentioned a little bit ago about these love letters mm-hmm. and this idea of the customer experience and connecting with the customer and how you do that. I'd love to hear more about how your team reaches out to the consumer, the types of research that you do, and the types of communications and conversations that you facilitate. Sure, sure. Well, it, it is all about consumer centricity, right? Mm-hmm. It is all about having, it's really a paradigm shift. It's moving from beating your, your brand chest mm-hmm. and feeling brand is hero to um, really being an enabler of the consumer. The consumer is hero. I like to think of the brand's role is really Yoda's role (laughs) to Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker being the consumer, Mm -hmm. right? How can we provide a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of guidance that helps the consumer along their own personal path Mm -hmm. uh, to achievement? And it's it's setting up an organization and, and it's staffing it with people with that sensitivity, right? who are going to have uh, really listen to what the consumer is saying um, and then take actions that really deliver against the big problems that the consumer is facing in a way that feels authentic to the category and to the brands. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me, the first step is really getting people's heads, at least on my team, uh, and then other teams as well as you kind of evangelize, we are not about, we are not the hero, right? The consumer is the hero. Um, the consumer is in total control, so right. we might as well just admit that right now. Um, they're filtering our messages uh, either you know, physically uh, or mentally. They mm-hmm. become human filters, right? Mm-hmm. I think we need to start moving away from being the thing that interrupts what they're interested in from a consumer communication perspective to being the thing that they're actually interested mm-hmm. in. And I think you'll even notice in your own personal experience, there are probably ads that you watch and uh, and, and ads that you experience that, that, that make you laugh. Right. That maybe even teach you a little bit about something or pull at the heartstrings. How can we do more of that? And how can we leverage digital capabilities to tell more immersive stories mm-hmm. than a 30 second spot can do? And so that's the path that we're really pursuing. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, to get back to your question in terms of how, you really have to understand what are those pain points. And you can't look at them through a filter of, initially at least, of um, you know what you have the authority to talk about. Right. You just have to understand what is my consumer experiencing? What are the big macro trends that are affecting them personally? Mm-hmm. And once you have a deep understanding of that, then you can step back and you can add your filters. Mm-hmm. Where do we have a right, a brand authority, to lean in and, and help become a solution provider beyond the basic features and benefits of the product, mm-hmm. right? That's important, and there's a there's room for that story. You must tell that story. Right. That's lower funnel. Yeah. How do I fill the funnel with more people? How do I track them to my brand? Um, in many cases, it's not going to be about you know the fact that I am a better whitener and brightener, mm-hmm. right? Because that's kind of tickets to the game. How can I make an emotional connection in a way that stops you, gets you to think? And I think there are brands that have done that really, really well, like we all know Dove and, 
and, and what they've done. Um, and there are many brands that are really getting into the space and some are succeeding really well. We want to be one of them. Mm -hmm. And we're leveraging actually artificial intelligence to understand what's on consumers' minds. Certainly we have a, a, a research department here and they're wonderful. And the person that runs that group is my partner in crime and I don't go too far without him. Mm -hmm. um, but we're also doing more non-traditional things, at least now they're non-traditional, beyond surveys. And we're looking at what people are reading, what people are saying, what the sentiment is. And artificial intelligence is a wonderful way of collecting reams and reams of data over mm -hmm. many, many years and understanding the trajectory of various conversations so that the big problems can be extrapolated and you get, I think, a pretty authentic picture mm -hmm. of where your consumer's head and heart is. Right. That's, so that's fascinating. And there's a, a million themes in what you just said that I would love to touch on. Um, I don't know that we'll have time for all of them. But uh, in terms of using artificial intelligence for essentially sense making is what you're talking about. You know, mm -hmm. we're looking at the oceans of data that most companies have now um, in various places and various warehouses and using new tools to take a look at that data and start to understand um, from a quantitative perspective what the consumer is doing and needing and reading and looking at. Um, I'm wondering if you layer that in with qualitative at all and, and how those two um, twains perhaps meet here at Henkel yeah. is, is a question. And I'd also, in terms of sense making, I want to do go back to that, uh, what you were talking about in terms of the funnel and in terms of looking at the entire consumer journey. I think mm -hmm. it's really easy for big corporations to look at the journey through a marketing lens, mm -hmm. meaning looking at every touch point along the way, every experience of the consumer as how can we sell more to them at this moment in time? And what you're talking about is taking a much broader view, a much more humanist view of that, and putting together an honest view of the customer um, from start to finish and their pain points, and then going back and saying, okay, how can we support the consumer at various points in that journey? I think that's really remarkable, and I think it's unusual uh, in terms of what I've seen uh, with my work. Uh, so I, I would love it if you could talk um, particularly to the question of sense making with mm -hmm. AI mm -hmm. um, and and how you use different types of, of research and analysis and then if you do want to have anything else to say about the customer journey that's also something I would certainly like to throw out there sure sure and, and maybe I'll I'll just start with that piece and then move into the AI because it sure. all does start with yep. the consumer mm -hmm. and I think it really is understanding the the pain points mm -hmm. right what are the um, predictable pain points that people are feeling throughout their kind of path to purchase as it pertains to your brands and where are they going to solve mm -hmm. those pain points to your point those consumer touch points mm -hmm. that's really important and i think consumer journey mapping is is really foundational uh, to this type of work uh, as it gets into the ai that's where that's going to help you right understand right. some mm -hmm. of these pain points and working with the right company is really important because a lot of this is still, although AI in and of itself has been around for 50 years, sure. it really isn't till over the till the last, let's say, six, seven, eight years mm -hmm. that it's really scaled, right, with the uh, massive computational power that's now available, advanced algorithms, and quite frankly, 
all the data that just wasn't yeah. around 50 years ago. I mean, 90% of the world's data was generated in the last five years right. because we're creating it all with all the digital interactions that we're having. So, um, you know, so it's still a relatively new discipline in its current form. Having the right partner is super important. And so for us, we were working with a company called R4 in Connecticut, mm -hmm. uh, in Richfield, Connecticut. Um, they are uh, they were created by the founders of Priceline.com. Right. So already that gave them some credibility with us. And you know, we vetted them for a number of months to really make sure that they were the right firm uh, to help us on this journey because it can be awfully you know, confusing. And we've been able to leverage their capabilities to surface insights that otherwise would really have been impossible hmm. for us to find. Wow. You know, it's really about connecting dots where you didn't even know dots could mm -hmm. existed, right. quite frankly. Right, right. That's fascinating. That's really good stuff. And I'm sure that R4 will be grateful for the, uh, <laughs> for the shout out. I know from the talk that you gave uh, that you have done some just phenomenal consumer-centric mm -hmm. marketing, highly personalized marketing. I would love it if you could speak a little bit to some of those efforts and mm -hmm. what went into them and what some of the results were. Yeah, absolutely. So personal, we know personalization is what it's all about, but you don't want to cross that line into creepy, you know, the creepy right. place. Right. So AI has helped us quite a bit. Um, one of the projects we're working on right now is to really find the hidden um, Persil Consumer. Mm. So Priscil is a, a big global brand. It's it's a fledgling brand in this company with about a three and a half share. Um, the neat thing about the brand is it has tremendously high repeat. You know, over fifty five percent repeat wow. rate, which is really unusual. So we have a real penchant for trying to find who is the person that would just love this product, and how do we dig a moat around them with advertising so we get them to buy. Mm -hmm. Instead of the spray and pray method, and as challenger brands, we just don't have enough fuel in the tank to mm -hmm. make that last. So we leverage artificial intelligence to understand, you know, where the high potential Priscilla consumers live around some of our key retailers, right? Because mm -hmm. you always want to connect everything to uh, your big customers. Sure. And the, the AI is able to tell us not only at the zip code and the block group level where these people live, but we get a sense of the attributes that make up these communities, right? Mm. And the people that live in them. That's what the AI tells you. So it may tell you, for example, that in a particular zip code and at a particular block level, you've got a lot of gyms, you know, workout facilities. You've got people that are very health conscious. Mm -hmm. So we use that information to build personas. And in another block group, in another zip code, you might find, hey, this is actually an up-and-coming area um, in transition mm -hmm. um, that's moving from kind of one end of the economic spectrum to another. And it's attracting people who are maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit more affluent, um, with interests, let's say, in, in dining and eating out, mm -hmm. right? So you learn a little bit about the people and places in these key geographies. Mm -hmm. And then you can tailor your message, right? So in this particular example, we can frame the power of Priscil and the deep clean that this brand gives you within the context of uh, a healthy lifestyle. Right. Uh, you know, within the context of foodies, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you're a foodie like me, you get pretty messy, right? Right. So <laughs> if I receive an ad, that's depicting or mirroring my life a little bit and my 
enjoyment of food mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes mishaps that go along with that, <laughs> then I'm more open mm-hmm. to that ad, right? So it's personal, yet it's not too personal. Right. And what we've been able to do is actually leverage um, creative dynamic optimization to uh, develop very highly personalized ads um, that bring in uh, you know, the local uh, uh, price point right, mm. for a particular product. They'll bring in uh, 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 a, a retail location with maps. Mm. And we've been able to develop for one campaign over 400,000 personalized ads. Wow. Right? So that the consumer receives the ad, they see the locations in their area that sell our product, they can pick the location they mm. want, a map comes up which takes them right there. That's remarkable. The right product for them and the right size at the right price point or the price point in that marketplace mm-hmm. pops up. Right. And so that's another way of being personal um, but not being creepy. Yeah, this is just tremendous stuff. And I love where you're coming from as a challenger brand because we hear a lot from some smaller organizations that it feels like AI is only for the big companies, you know, the number one in the market types of companies mm-hmm. or that personalization is, is out of reach. And what I'm hearing is that by combining artificial intelligence, combining technology and personalization with a deep understanding of the, the customer experience, you can be more targeted about your application of that technology. So maybe it's not a wholesale, I'm installing Watson at every possible level of the organization. It's how can I deploy these selected technologies in service of the customer experience? 100%. How do I create an environment, a virtuous circle of engagement, rather a vicious circle of engagement? Mm -hmm. So the vicious circle of engagement, if I'm the consumer and I put myself in their shoes, is that you keep serving me ads with no understanding of who I am, mm-hmm. even though I'm your customer. Right. So it feels like we're continually starting the relationship over. Right. Versus right. if you know something about me, we never start the relationship over. We're mm-hmm. always starting um, from you know an informed place. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Well, with technology, like we've been talking about, um, you know, artificial intelligence and the like to glean the insights, but where do you house this this information? You know, so. Whether it's a data lake or we have a DMP, mm-hmm. a data management platform, yep. where we're ingesting lots of data. And to your earlier point, even the uh, uh, the qualitative and quantitative data. We have segmentations mm-hmm. that are very important to us, mm-hmm. right? That are qualitative in nature. We bring that, excuse me, quantitative in nature. We bring that information into our DMP mm-hmm. and we blend it with other things, other data points, all the artificial intelligence data, mm-hmm. media interaction data that we have mm-hmm. goes into the DMP where we can um, sort it and make sense of it and further build out our segmentation, mm-hmm. our personas. Mm-hmm. So no longer do you have to just rely on one or the other. You mm-hmm. can bring all of these worlds together in one location and sift and sort Mm -hmm. and make sense and then action on it. Right, right. Yeah, building in a a cycle with the DMP at the center. Yes. You know, a cycle of the quantitative and the qualitative feeding each other and, you know, ultimately improving the results and what you're able to perceive out of that data. A hundred percent. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Uh, And very thoughtful stuff, you know. I mean, that we're still at a at a juncture in this kind of industry and in the world of customer experience where there's a lot of very nascent thinking, a lot of very nascent platforms, um, people kind of trying to tie together a a lot of different threads into one cohesive unit. 
Um, and the, the thinking here that, that you guys are doing at Henkel is, is really sophisticated and very holistic. So that's, it's very exciting to see. Um, and, and I think you know, it makes you stand out in, in a field that's relatively crowded. Well, thank you. And I think I hope you're getting from this conversation that while we're doing a lot within technology, it all starts with people. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. everything starts with people Absolutely. from the way we structured, started this conversation mm -hmm. around the structure of our organization. Um, and, uh, you know, who, who do we have the right people on the bus? Mm -hmm. Right. Have we hired right? Mm -hmm. Do we have people who have the sensibility and this passion mm. to put the consumer first mm -hmm. and not just pay lip service to that? But to really be believe, mm -hmm. the better we know the consumer, the deeper we can create a bond with them, the better our business will mm. be. And have that empathy, too. You have you to know? have that empathy. We're starting to get to a point now where our job descriptions have to include things about empathy and about listening and about um, being customer-centric, whereas 10 years ago or even fewer years ago, you know, that never came up. We never interviewed for empathy, and now we really have to. Well, that's a great point because you can start your customer centricity right here in your office mm -hmm. every day. Yep. And one of the one of our uh, principles here, or our values, and we have a value system here at, at Henkel. We call it a success seeker value mm. uh, system. And one of them is all around connecting with respect. Right. So how can I treat you not as a thing? You know, but as a person, right? How can I know you well enough, you know, to the degree that you want to be known, mm -hmm. um, and treat you in a way that makes you feel that your individuality as a person, as an employee, is um, is respected, right? How can I help you build your career here so that it's you know we're creating a win-win scenario, mm -hmm. and that this type of empathy and emotional intelligence needs to be practiced at work. Right. If it's going to work outside, you Absolutely. can't speak with two different voices. It's amazing to me where I'll see, you know, commercials on TV for major corporations, and um, they'll be all about con the consumer and how much they're plugged into the consumer. And then you have an interaction with them, and it feels anything but right. right. And I wonder what it's like to work for them mm. as well. Mm. It all has to tie together. You have to treat your employees the way you want your customers mm -hmm. to feel, the right. way you want consumers to feel. It all has to kind of jive in yeah. the same kind of pot. Yeah, it's completely it's completely antithetical to the you know Taylorism of the Industrial Revolution where a human was treated like a cog in a machine, you know, and, and there are a lot of organizations that still act like that, that still look at Productivity, as if it's um, as if we in an office building are the same as a widget on a conveyor belt, and and that's really destructive. It's destructive to the to the individuals. It's also destructive, I would imagine, to the organizations. I would think so too. Now, now it does require a different type of employee, right? Yep. An employee that um, doesn't need to be micromanaged. Mm -hmm. An employee that's not looking to kind of game the system, right. right? So we have a very rigorous hiring process here, and. You know, this, you know, I'm looking for A players. Mm -hmm. And for me, A players are people who are really ambitious. I want people who want to make money mm -hmm. for themselves and for the company. Mm -hmm. I want people who want to um, rise within the organization. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that. Um, but they also have to be willing to do it the right way, you know, and, uh, and take others with you. I want people who are intellectually curious, mm -hmm. people who are just restless, right. and they want to bring 
outside knowledge into the organization and make mm -hmm. everybody better. Yep. You know, so there's certain criteria that we have as we're screening because you need a level of maturity, mm -hmm. right, on both ends. Yep. Yep. Yeah, those all excellent points. And I would love to now get your opinion on what you think we're looking at down the line. What's mm -hmm. on the horizon for us in the customer experience field? What are we going to be grappling with? What's going to be exciting um, about the next you know, five or even 10 years out um, for us working here in this, this field? Well, I think we all um, can see plainly that the physical experience isn't going anywhere, mm -hmm. right? Retail stores um, are, are a critical component of the consumer journey, and many of them are thriving. Mm -hmm. And we see online players, you know, like Amazon mm -hmm. buying, you know, retail locations and Whole Foods, and and I think that's that is a trend that is going to continue. And uh, kind of more specifically, it's this blending of the physical world, the terrestrial world with the digital world. And that will come together in increasingly exciting ways that will enable us to do more. Right. As, as, as business leaders, as consumers. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you see it right now with uh, autonomous vehicles and right. robotics, where right. artificial intelligence mm -hmm. is coming together in the physical world and creating things that I think felt like science fiction a few years ago. True. And their reality today. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's fascinating, and I, I love. I feel like autonomous cars are coming up every five minutes. They're they're clearly something that is on everybody's mind. From having to think about things like energy storage and batteries mm -hmm. to having you know in in this universe to having to think about fabrics and entertainment systems in mm -hmm. cars. You know that really were not anything that existed two years ago or three years ago. It's a, it's a whole other world. So that's some really interesting stuff, and I. I think most of us can connect the dots also then into that artificial intelligence universe um, and that customer experience universe. When you start to look at being able to gain a perspective on an individual's life, you know, where they are offline, where they are digitally most of the time at the same time, where they are in a car, where they are, what they're doing in their home. Again, we always have to be careful not to be invasive, but to be able to paint that kind of a picture is very exciting from, from a marketer standpoint, certainly. I think so. I mean, you think about some of the biotech, you know, that's coming out with regards to infusion into clothing and mm. being able to save lives by alerting people yeah. that you might be having a particular issue, mm -hmm. go see the doctor, you know, right. something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's all kinds of very exciting places that we can go. And you're right, there's a fine line between being creepy and not, but we do know that consumers want personalization. Yeah. Think about yourself and, 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 and the personalization that Google gives you or Netflix gives mm -hmm. you, you know, or Amazon gives mm -hmm. you. The, this personalization enables you to move quicker through your shopping experience, mm -hmm. through your entertainment experience, to get to where you want to be. So right. we all kind of are kind of hooked on this yeah. idea of personalization. We want more of it. Right. We just don't want it to be, to your point, invasive or to feel violating in mm -hmm. any way. Right, absolutely. So one of the other things that we're doing with this podcast is talking to companies that are a big presence in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. You know, we're a small state, we're between New York and Boston. A lot of people kind of think of us as a pass-through state, but um, over the course of these conversations, we've really discovered that there's, there's some real leadership 
going on in Connecticut. There are some people who are thinking very deeply about the customer experience, about their organizations, um, how that's going to play out in the industry, but also in our actual geographical location. So I'd love to hear um, you know, how you feel about the state, where you think we are, uh, what some of the opportunities and maybe even what some of those challenges might be. Well, personally, I love the state. I grew up in, in, in New York, which borders Connecticut, and um, spent a lot of time in Connecticut working and playing and uh, family in Connecticut. So for me, the sheer beauty of the state, the, the, the natural resources that the state has are really second to none, and I get a lot of personal enjoyment about being here, and I find it to be uh, very fulfilling and, 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 and it does restore me. Mm. I think the state as a whole has got has some headwinds and there's some tailwinds, right? I think from a headwinds perspective, uh, you know, I think taxes certainly from sure. a corporate perspective, from an in individual perspective, you know, uh, are a bit of a pinch point. Um, I, I think that uh, infrastructure throughout the state as a whole, also a bit of a, pin, uh, of a pinch point. But right here in Fairfield County, you know, I mean, if you look at the municipalities, there, there's a different story, right, mm -hmm. to be told. If you look right here in Fairfield, um, you've got Stanford, you've got Wilton, you've got Ridgefield, you have Westport, right? Mm -hmm. Um, these communities are very, very business friendly, mm -hmm. right? And um, they attract, first of all, you've got a very uh, intellectual and, and intelligent uh, marketplace mm -hmm. to pull from, right. right? Henkel could have been anywhere, right? They could have been anywhere in this country. Uh, and they chose Connecticut uh, largely because of the people that reside right. here. They're very smart mm -hmm. and we want smart people. Mm -hmm. You also have universities you know, in this area. I mean, I don't think you can throw a stone too far without hitting a university. Mm -hmm. and, and that says a lot about the state. We've done some work with UConn mm -hmm. on some mentorship programs where I think we've gotten as much as the students have gotten. <laughs> and, and that's enabled us to think a little bit differently. So that's been really wonderful. Uh, all of these municipalities within Fairfield County are a short train ride uh, from Manhattan, which is great from an employee um, you know, uh, from attracting employees and retaining mm -hmm. employees, but also being right at the center of the universe, quite yeah. frankly. Many of our agencies are in New York City. It's a short ride to, to get together with mm -hmm. them. So I think Fairfield County in particular has a lot to offer mm -hmm. uh, corporations. Um, it's a wonderful place for, for employees to live yeah. and play and, and work. It sure is beautiful. That's that's for sure. There's there's no question about that. That's that's terrific. Thank you. And so my last question, and this is, I like to try to do a couple of, of thematic questions that I ask for of everybody. And this is one of those. And I I think these are some big shoes to fill at Henkel. But I would love to hear if you have any advice for organizations, whether they're small or large or challenger or not. Um, advice for how to emulate some of the success that you've seen here um, and, and people who might be trying to break into developing a customer experience group that's doing the kinds of things that, that your team is doing. That's a great question. And I think, I think it starts with honesty, quite frankly. Mm. I think it starts with individual corporations being really real. Mm. And that might start at a senior executive perspective, um, you know, where you take a day and you go off-site with a facilitator, um, and you talk about how consumer-centric are you? Mm -hmm. What is consumer-centricity? Um, what are competitors in your space doing to become more consumer-centric? Mm -hmm. How would you plot yourself along a consumer-centricity uh, maturity map? Mm -hmm. You know, 
what would be the components within that map, right, that you could break down to kind of better understand your own journey? Right. If you're at novice and expert is on the other way and it feels very far, well, what are the components that make a novice versus an intermediate versus mm -hmm. an expert, right? Mm -hmm. So how can you chunk this stuff down? Mm -hmm. um, once you've kind of done that, and I think that should be done in a, an environment where you know no idea is a bad idea, how could you start to envision being more consumer-centric? Mm -hmm. What would have to be true within your organization to make some big fundamental changes? Mm -hmm. And I think in this part of the process, there should be, once again, no filtering, just right. lots of ideas. And then I would say, um, spend some time filtering mm -hmm. and making it, you know, once again, real and pragmatic. And then creating a real vision right. you know, for the organization so it's clear to the rank and file what consumer centricity means, mm -hmm. why it's important, who's doing it well, where are we on the maturity map of consumer centricity, what's it going to take to move there quickly over the next year, two years, three years. Um, and, and specifically scorecard, mm. you know, not only a pie-in-the-sky vision, but pragmatically, how is the organization going to change, what's, go what's success going to look like, mm -hmm. and how are we going to measure success? Mm -hmm. And I think if leadership is able to do that type of thing, I think uh, they'll get a lot of people to follow. Right. That's a great answer. Honesty, I think, is uh, possibly the best answer um, I've heard, <laughs> for one thing. But I also like this idea of connecting these lofty visionary statements with real pragmatic success criteria um, and even getting to the point of having a rubric. Um, and it also sounds like that does need to be layered in with reevaluation, you know, coming back every year and saying, okay, let's do this again. What, what have we done in the past year? What do we still need to do? Because without that component, um, you, you know, it sounds like you could easily sort of get lost. So you do have to have that that reconnection with the vision on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, and I would say probably uh, quarterly at a minimum, you know, it, it's really the scorecard. We said we want it to be this, mm -hmm. and we said it's going to take this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. How are we doing against this, that, and the other right, thing? Right, right. You know, we should be looking in. Individual teams should be checking in biweekly, mm -hmm. and management should be looking quarterly. Mm -hmm. And explaining to the organization where we are on a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis so that there are no surprises yeah. and we all know where we are and where we need to be. Yeah, that really vital and, and dynamic part of the process is, is critical. So this has been fantastic, Ken. I've really enjoyed our time together. I can't thank you enough uh, for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast and for participating in this conversation. Again, um, Ken Krasnow is the Vice President of Omnichannel Marketing at Henkel. If there's a way for any of our listeners to connect with you, are you on LinkedIn or, or anything? Can we, can we provide a link to that? Sure. Sure, I'm on okay. LinkedIn. Great. Um, and you can come check me out there mm -hmm. at uh, Ken Krasno on LinkedIn. We'll provide a link in the uh, show notes. You don't and, have to, uh, to memorize it. <laughs> be happy to be happy to continue this conversation. And and Katie, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Terrific. Thank you so much.